You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here today for AOA. We certainly hope all of you had an opportunity yesterday to celebrate this great nation's Independence Day. Today, though, we're all back to work. The screens are open. The trades traders are working. We're going to check in with the Wayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing here in just a moment about what's driving these commodity markets as the work week returns. And in segment two, folks, it is the first Wednesday of the month of July, which means we're going to be checking in with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for that monthly segment we like to call the monthly grind. Stay tuned for that here in just a bit. Then we're going to talk policy with our friend Josh Bakey from Farm Progress before we go for the day. Let's jump in to these markets. Of course, no overnight trade here on the 4th of July. Most traders and market participants out watching some fireworks, but the trade got right back into it this morning. Both corn and beans are higher to start the day along with wheat. Joining us now, Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing. Dwayne, hope you had a happy 4th of July. Oh, absolutely. Hopefully you did too. I did indeed. And I tell you, it's nice to see some green on the screen here. Dwayne, fill us in. What's uh, What's got the traders buying in the commodity markets today? Yeah, probably a little bit more spillover from uh, the bullish soybean report. You know, losing those acres is just a, a huge deal. This June 30th report always seems to have yeah, <laughs> its own fireworks just before the 4th of July holiday. And it, we did again here this year with uh, less acres than anticipated. So the the soybean situation got ex- uh, tighter moving forward, especially when you think that you know, our crush capacity is going to increase about 100 million bushels over the next two years uh, with a couple plants in North Dakota coming on. So we need to have a pretty good yield in the U.S. this year. But, you know, anything above 50, we should be OK. Um, but that so that justifies a pretty good weather premium in the market until we get through August, basically. We do have some more risk ahead for the soybean crop. But, Dwayne, you mentioned that acreage report here from this last Friday coming out of the USDA. They mentioned a a big shift in corn acres uh, going into bean acres, raised Mm -hmm. corn acres, excuse me, vice versa, raised corn acres, 2 million, dropped bean acres uh, substantially. I have been stunned by that number because I would have assumed, Dwayne, that we would have heard about a lot of switching from seed salespeople. And I didn't hear that this spring. Could there be another explanation for it? You really didn't hear that that much. You know, for us in our area, which is starting to be the critical area when it comes to this acreage mix towards the end, is it's so critical that weather. The last two weeks in May, even first week in June, uh, if North Dakota, Northern South Dakota can get their corn acres in, they go. And I, I think that's what I learned is that anything that was prevent plant last year was prepped and ready and was planned on going into corn. And I mean, we were heavy corn acres on our farm in Northeast South Dakota as well. So it's not like I can say no one did it. Um, it was pretty surprising. I, I did think the one thing I saw is you got past May 25th, which is our late plant date where guys could take prevent plant if they wanted to on wet corn fields, or they can continue to plant and lose 1% coverage each day. Like on our farm for about a week afterwards, everyone kept planting corn. Um, they just wanted to stick to the game plan. The conditions were good. It was warming up outside. So that's basically what North Dakota did. And they got the more corn acres and beans just fell off. Then they, they we ran out of acres, basically. Ran out of acres. That's a great point. And that, that, Dwayne, that helps me kind of understand a little bit how we could have seen this sort of switching and not yet have seen the, the corn or the, the corns of the bean seed come back into the dealerships. You mentioned the, the corn market. We're still seeing some, uh, some positive moves to the upside. We've got that December contract, Dwayne, back below $5. What are the new marks here you're watching for the trade? Well, everyone's kind of watching this 491 area, which, you know, that was the low in May. Can that hold or not? Uh, my thoughts are longer term, probably not. Uh, so, yeah, we got more corn acres on top of a poor export demand situation that just equals just too many bushels at the end. I mean, we could talk about, you know, the, the hot weather in, in June and maybe that trims some of the yield off. Maybe Illinois is below trend, but I don't think the U.S. can be far enough below trend with the current forecast to really make it a tight situation. So corn by itself in a bubble path of least resistance is going to be lower, even lower than this 490 area. 
All right, things to watch on the corn side, Dwayne. On the other side of the grains ledger, wheat is really moving today. Hard red up 42 cents, Chicago up 25. What's happening here in the wheat trade? Yeah, kind of interesting developments. Uh, go back to the talking about Russia-Ukraine war over there. Over the weekend, I had read that EU was trying to structure a bank situation, basically open up the SWIFT bank back to Russia. And I thought, well, gosh, if Russia gets that back, they're financing that way, then this Black Sea export corridor will stay open forever. I must not all, know all the details behind it because I learned this morning that Russia basically rejected that and said, no, that's what EU was planning isn't going to be enough. So I think on the 17th, they plan on shutting down the export corridor again. Stop me if you heard that again through the Black Sea. But that's got the market excited for now anyway. Um, yeah, up sharply in wheat today, kind of helping hold corn together a little bit. Dwayne, you said something big there, which was stop me if you've heard this before. Russia has threatened <laughs> at least three times, I think, here in the last year and a half to get out of this grain deal. Does the fact that uh, the market's up big on this announcement make this a hedging opportunity or do you think they might actually follow through here? Uh, I think this is probably a hedging opportunity. I mean, we've got... There's some areas in the winter wheat belt, of course, that, that the yields down sharply, but you got areas of the soft wheats, you know, the Illinois look Illinois state of Illinois looking at a possible record yield uh, in North Dakota. The spring wheat, we, uh, we that hot June we had really did hurt the yield there, but we've had recent rains that I think came in time just to save some of that crop. So I'm looking at the spring wheat as yeah, this rally is probably a hedgeable opportunity just because there's not a whole lot of upside moving forward. Even if Russia does continue to the war with Ukraine, we still need someone to buy our wheat. And that's kind of been the problem lately. Yeah, that has been. That's been that ongoing struggle there. Uh, Dwayne, we have not had much of a struggle getting consumers to buy our beef. They have been willing up through the 4th of July to write big checks at the meat case that supported some strong valuations here in the live cattle complex. We're starting off the week here, set back a little bit. What are you expecting as this uh, July drags on here for the cattle complex? And watching the trade action pretty close today, it's going to be pretty important because we've gotten basically back up to the all-time highs there around that 178 for August. But we we struggled on Monday just a little bit. And, you know, watching the trade today where I feel like, you know, the traders should be back in full. If we close lower today, it looks like kind of a failure to make new highs. And with box beef trending lower and cash market probably trending lower as more supplies come down the pipeline here, we might see a top in this cattle market. But Everyone's kind of factoring in a, a large decrease, about 5% in production for this fall. But we also look at the futures market and go, well, that's at a pretty big premium. So maybe we've already priced that in. So oh, my eyes are going to be on the close today. We, we might start a little bit of a downward trend, even though supplies are still tight. And like you said, consumer demand is good. And Dwayne, those deferred months, quite a premium. December live cattle at 183, February at 186. Same question mm -hmm. on the wheat side. Are you taking some risk off the board here? I think it would be nice to there. Now, you know, there's still upside, and I don't want everyone to be on margin calls all summer if, if we do have higher markets. So I, I do kind of lean towards either a put option or the LRP insurance, you know, to kind of push the margin risk off of producers. But man, that's a lot of capital investment we have in feedlots and cow-calf operations too that would be nice to spread that risk off somehow. Um, so yeah, I, I do like these prices as far as selling. All right, folks, keep that in mind. We've been talking with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me, Mike. Stick around, ladies and gentlemen. It'll be the monthly grind from NCGA here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701.
800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. What's your favorite talk show? Where do you hear music that transports you to another time? In an emergency, where do you turn for the most up-to-date information? Well, 80 million Americans depend on AM radio each month. It's the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping the public safe in dangerous times. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why, and you could win $500. It's that easy. Visit whyilisten.com today. That's whyilisten.com. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are heading back to Washington, D.C. for the monthly grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead, along with current priorities of NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 18th. It's a show you don't want to miss. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and as is our tradition, on the first Wednesday of every month, we sit down with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for a segment we call The Monthly Grind. We like to look into the uses for that corn crop once it leaves your farm. Joining us this week for The Monthly Grind, we're going to be talking with Troy Schneider of Colorado and Denny Vinacotter, corn grower from Ohio. And gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Troy, I guess things are looking a little wet out your way in eastern Colorado, aren't they? For once, we are a little wet out in eastern Colorado, western Nebraska, western Kansas. And uh, it's definitely a nice change feel for our counterparts that are a little dry across the eastern Corn Belt. But I think things are picking up for them, too. That's certainly what it sounds like, Denny. You are in the eastern Corn Belt there, Ohio corn grower. I understand you caught a little bit of moisture this past week as well. Is that right? We did. We got uh, anywhere from a half inch to two and a half. But like Troy says, it has been dry out this way. Uh, we're not that far into Ohio, uh, two counties over from Indiana. And, and stuff has been on the dry side, let's say. Well, that's certainly true. That has been reflected in the markets as we've been talking here over the past several months. But there's so much more going on during a growing season than just that crop growing in the field. As both of you gentlemen know, there are also times to get together and plot the future of the industry a little bit. Troy, I understand you've got a road trip coming up in the next couple of weeks. Where are you headed? Yeah, uh, not only myself, but uh, about 100, 100 other team members from the seven action teams at National Corn Growers Association will be going to Washington, D.C. July 17th through the 20th for Corn Congress. Uh, the 17th and 18th, we have action team meetings. And uh, the 19th, we'll be going to the Hill to visit uh, legislators. And then on the 20th, we will have Corn Congress we'll, where we conduct um, business twice a year. Once at Corn Congress in Washington, D.C. And the other time is, is a Commodity Classic in, uh, in March. So, like I said, about 100 team members from the seven action teams and then the delegates uh, will have a little over 100 delegates taking care of business on Thursday. Well, that's what it's all about. Denny, if I think back over this past year, I had the chance to be in Washington, D.C. Weren't we doing this just about a year ago? 
we was kind of fun and i think we're going to do an anniversary special on the 18th i believe i i think coming up so yeah been we've been a, a lot of different places this year haven't we we certainly have, Denny, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about. As you mentioned, folks, Tuesday, July 18th, we will be doing a special one-year anniversary of the Monthly Grind right here on AOA. Just keep your dials where they are on those trusted sources of news. But, Denny, we've been talking, hard to believe, for 12 months, and we've hit a couple of uh, really big points. Why does the NCGA want to get out here and tell these stories? Well, I think a lot of it, you know, we're a small part of the population farms and this is the one way that uh, we let other farmers along with the general public know what what we're up to and and where we're trying to uh, grow our corn demand and and the future of corn and the future of corn is fascinating. As, as we talk here and prepare for that Corn Congress, Troy, I'd like to kind of reflect on some of the things we've highlighted here over the past year. Corn going into uses that we don't always expect. There's been a, a lot of them, haven't there? There has been. You know, I, I went back this morning and looked up the, the list of the shows over the past year. And we've talked about pet food in October, you know, the pet food forum. We've talked about Usapeak with our friends with the poultry industry talked about meat exports. We visited with National Cattlemen's Beef Association, the National Pork Board. I tallied up, we had nine different members of our team or the national office, or the national board members joining us as well. And uh, when you can get that many people and NCGA staff and guests on board, it's, uh, it's important to tell that story just as Denny said. It is. It is important. And it's important, I think, to remind folks that the the innovation with corn is not anywhere close to being done. New uses are always being discovered. And Denny, I know that the National Corn Growers is promoting some of those new uses with the Consider Corn Challenge. Can you talk a little bit about what that challenge is? So it's uh, it's it's uh, so we had 20, 20 entries in it for the our new Consider Torn Challenge, which just closed, uh, I believe, the end of the month. So we have 20 entries in it, and it has to do with uh, like biomaterial products, techno different technologies that uh, will use corn in a different way than animal feed, more of an industrial side in my eyes is like what I think of it. Yeah, that is one of the neat things. It's finding ways for, for you know, corn technology, corn chemistry, I suppose, to be used in different products. Troy, have you had the chance to take a look at any of those things that have come through a Consider Corn Challenge? Um, for this year, I haven't had the chance to, but in the past, we have been able to have products come in or innovations, different items come in to meetings that we've we've looked at. We've had our, our hands on them. And like Denny said, yeah, we had 20 entries this year. In the past, we've had up to 35 and as low as 18. So right in the middle there, it's an every other year project. We focus on different areas uh, each time. And so we'll have those, we'll convene a panel of industrial leaders that will judge these, these ideas. And we will be uh, announcing those winners this October in San Francisco. It is incredible to see what these scientists, these researchers can come up with, with that new technology. And Troy, I, I want to ask you and Denny both this question. You're in your corn growers. You're out there in the field every day. You've got markets in eastern Colorado. You've got livestock you can feed to. In Ohio, we've got poultry. We've got ethanol plants. Why are you concerned with market development? Troy, what's the advantage for you as a grower out there in eastern Colorado? Well, Mike, on your previous segment, you were talking to Dwayne there about the carryover. And as corn farmers, we love nothing more than to raise corn. And so at market development, it's just this simple. We've got to find ways to make our market grow, to find another way to grow that corn. You know, you tie into the mission statement of the national corn growers, and it's to create and increase opportunities for corn growers. And that's what it's all about is how do we make something new out of corn? How do we crack that kernel a different way and still feed our livestock industry, fuel our biofuels and create new opportunities? That's fantastic. Denny, how about you? Are there anything, is, is there anything you're particularly excited about when you look to the future with that corn crop that's growing on your Ohio farm fields? Well, in the in future, I think something new that's on the horizon is sustainable aviation fuel. 
where they where they take ethanol and turn it into essentially jet fuel. I think that's a something that's down the road that can we can really help supply part of that need and when we talk about i think i think about uh how we can uh grow our markets or we just add value back to the farm by any anything whether we have livestock or ethanol and that it just that extra value comes back to the farmer Absolutely. And one of the things that always strikes me when we find new uses for commodity crops, we help eliminate or alleviate some of the cycles in marketing and in pricing. If all we're doing is feeding corn to livestock, well, if livestock has a slump, oh, we feel it on the corn side. Ethanol adds that other leg, exports add another leg, and industrial development could be next. It is fascinating stuff to watch this technology. Troy, Denny, we've been talking about Corn Congress coming up in the next two weeks in Washington, D.C. Troy, you mentioned the action teams that will be doing work at Corn Congress. You're on the market development action team. Can you tell us what that work looks like when all of you folks get together well when we get together it you know each action team you know we've talked about animal the the livestock sector denny talked about sustainable aviation fuel so our market development action team crosses over with the ethanol action team and we work together not only on sustainable aviation fuel but how do we create our how do we share ideas tear down the silos within an organization as any organization has and make sure that we're talking and sharing those ideas. You know, the action teams, we've got ethanol, market development, member and consumer, production technology, risk transportation, stewardship and sustainability. So like I said, it's about a hundred different people that come together with uh, about 20 different staff members from either national or state levels. And uh, that's how we represent the national corn growers as a whole. Denny, of course, a lot of the updates for the NCGA are available on the website. If we've got listeners who want to get in deeper, learn what NCGA does on the ground, can you tell us where they ought to go? Well, yeah, go to the website. I mean, that's a good place. I also think about state organizations. You can find some of what's happening in your state by your state corner organization. That So good, in, good uh, sources of uh, information, just go to ncga.com. Absolutely, folks. Get active. A strong industry depends on participation from all the folks in it. We've been talking with Troy Schneider and Denny Wienerkotter from the National Corn Growers Association here for this month's Monthly Grind. Stick around. We'll talk policy with Josh Bakey from Farm Progress when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up we have some exciting news to share the national corn growers association along with aoa are heading back to washington dc for the monthly grind tune in on tuesday july 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode i'll be broadcasting live from corn congress in washington dc and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead along with current priorities of ncga's market development action team make sure to listen to aoa on tuesday july 18th it's a show you don't want to miss Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at what's going on here, the grain and livestock trade coming out of the 4th of July holiday. Markets reopened at 8.30 a.m. Central Time on Wednesday. We see the soy complex continuing to find some moderate support. More fallout, I'm sure, from Friday's surprise. USDA acreage number of 83.5 million acres, down 4 million from the March estimate. Corn is up just slightly, holding below some new uh, psychological resistance here in December corn right below that $5 mark while the wheat market finding some really good support here early on Wednesday 
and that is across uh, Chicago, Casey, and Minneapolis wheat. So all three classes finding some double-digit strength to the upside. That's something we're going to watch closely. Now, there was beneficial rain over the 4th of July holiday, but apparently it wasn't enough to satisfy traders completely in the week ahead. It looks like the northern Corn Belt will be drier, while the southern areas will get more rain. So we're going to continue to watch the weather forecast moving forward. Traders will be following that closely. On Monday, we did see the U.S. Uh, corn condition rating go up 1% in the good, excellent category, while soybeans and spring wheat did slide slightly. Over in livestock, good strength continued follow-through in this hog market on the day Wednesday with triple-digit gains led by the front-month contracts. As we've seen cutouts very strong uh, on Monday, we saw cutouts really strong, so... That is lending some support. While over in cattle trade, live and feeder cattle a bit all over the board, down just slightly here as we work through Wednesday's session. No cash cattle activity yet. It's probably going to be at least tomorrow or Friday before we see some of that. Right now, corn unchanged to two higher. Soybeans 12 to 16 higher in the wheat trade, really anywhere from 10 to 41 higher in Kansas City wheat. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to dig into the world of policy from Washington, D.C. We're going to be speaking here with Josh Bakey. He is the policy editor for Farm Progress. And Josh, before we get into all of the issues I want to talk about with you, we did get a piece of news this morning, apparently from the EPA. It sounds like we're going to have a new WOTUS rule by September 1st. Is that your understanding? That's what I'm seeing, too. You know, this is kind of the kind of the story that, that doesn't die here. But, uh, you know, if you recall, uh, back in May, the, the Supreme Court uh, overturned part of the previous uh, uh, Waters of the United States rule issued by the president, uh, I believe, at the end of 2022. And uh, the, the change in that is, is, is basically uh, previously the, the rule stated, you know, under the terms of the Clean Water Act, that the uh, EPA has authority to uh, regulate the navigable waterways of the United States. And then the previous definition of that uh, released by the Biden administration, uh, that they it said bodies of water that include, quote, significant nexus to a navigable waterway are, uh, you know, fall into their jurisdiction. So this could be any of any, you know, small body of water, particularly wetlands. They say have some connections. The court ruled that 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 the new standard is a continuous surface connection. So in other words, you know, body of water has to be directly connected to, uh, you know, to the navigable waterway. So uh, based on that ruling, the administration is going to now release a yet another WOTUS rule. And they're saying uh, by September 1st, we should uh, see what the details are on that. All right. Yeah, we keep hoping this issue is coming to a close, perhaps with this new rule there on about September 1st. We'll, we'll maybe get some closure on the WOTUS front. But in the meantime, Josh, we're continuing to see lots of other actions happen in Washington, D.C. There was a big announcement earlier this week from the USDA about $500 million in new funding for conservation efforts. Can you fill us in a little bit on, on what this is through? Yeah, this this is a, a uh, an existing program that the USDA uh, has called the, the Working Lands for Wildlife effort. Uh, kind of in summary, it it basically uh, compensates uh, landowners, you know, particularly agriculture producers, for uh, 
efforts that they uh, voluntarily voluntarily do to uh, preserve habitat for uh, you know targeted wildlife. And uh, this is a program uh, that USDA believes is very successful. I think they uh, you know they said they've had 8,400 8, uh, participants since uh, 2010, I believe was the number. And uh, what they're what they're wanting to do is uh, they're going to infuse 500 million dollars into the program over the next uh, five years. Uh, additionally, the, the other interesting thing is they're looking to kind of consolidate their uh, their conservation efforts under that umbrella. So one uh, particular particular interest is the uh, Conservation Reserve Program. Uh, you know that program has been around. Uh, I think it was introduced by President Reagan in the 80s, and it basically pays producers, uh, you know, to to uh, establish land cover. Uh, you know, prevent soil erosion, that kind of thing, and they're compensated for that. So this, that program, the CRP, is going to be under uh, the Working Lands for Wildlife umbrella, as will some other, you know, USDA has a whole set of of different conservation efforts. And they're looking to, to, to tie this into that uh, funding for it. It's going to come through the Farm Bill with also some funds provided through the uh, Inflation Reduction Act not last year. And uh, yeah, they're, they, uh, to them, they, they, they're saying this is a big deal, and they think they uh, expect it to be popular among producers. Interesting, Josh. I'm glad you mentioned the funding source. You mentioned some of it was coming from uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, and some of it was from the Farm Bill. I assume this is from the 2018 Farm Bill, right? We've still got Correct. some dollars there that we're rolling out. Correct, and that that that's kind of the key that, that they're trying to point out is this is not uh, additional funding; it's funding that they already have. They've just uh, you know allocating it in in this manner now, but it's not. It doesn't represent any new funding at this point. Okay. All right. So now have they announced us? Uh, I assume it's just going to be a matter of once these dollars are available, producers probably best advised to talk with their local FSA office, Josh, I'd assume on something like this. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I believe that is the case. And, uh, you know, they, so they're going to be putting out more information as this, uh, as this kind of kicks off here. Uh, there's more information on their website about the program. And uh, I believe there's also um, some links to, to, uh, provide feedback and request more information on there. Well, there you go, folks. All right, check that out. But that's not the only place we're seeing some additional effort from the USDA. Of course, there has been a long focus, Josh, on disaster programs, livestock disaster programs now sort of taking taking central assistance or uh, uh, central focus here. Could you talk about some of the new legislation from uh, Senator Hoven of North Dakota and Tester there of Montana? Yeah, yeah, they introduced this bill last week. It's called the Livestock Disaster Relief Act. Uh, Relief Act. Sorry, I think they're you know hoping to tie this into the farm bill potentially. Uh, but basically, it, it involves uh, changes to two programs: the Livestock Forage Program and the Emergency Assistance for Livestock Program. Uh, for the Livestock Forage Forage Program, they're looking to uh, you know increase the coverage for monthly feed costs to eighty uh, percent. Uh, they want to include unweaned cattle as you know livestock eligible for this program. Uh, looking to increase uh, the number of months. Uh, branches can receive payments and uh, changing the, uh, the the formula used to use to calculate monthly feed costs. Um, they're also looking to uh, you know uh, specify drought as a covered you know adverse weather event and you know removing some of the red tape and restrictions on there and also uh, setting a setting a transportation cost for feed and water that they believe will more closely reflect what's actually going on on the ground. All right. And so this bill was just introduced, as you mentioned, there it was on the Senate side from Hoven and Tester there, North Dakota and Montana. Josh, and you also mentioned they're hoping to get this included as a package for the farm bill. Uh, from your perspective, as a policy editor who keeps an eye on Washington, D.C., are you expecting to see a number of bills that aren't going to get much of a push this year, but they could potentially go into that big stew that becomes the next farm bill? Absolutely. You know, this is, if you recall, the, you know, omnibus spending bill last year. You know, this is one of the rare opportunities where you have, you know, kind of a, you know, giant bill with, with multiple, multiple things in there all passed at once. And, you know, this is the, at this point, you know, everybody's trying to get their priorities in, find a way to get them in. You know, the negotiations are heating up on this. And, yeah, every, everybody's trying to get their their priorities tacked onto the, the final bill. So kind of remains to be seen if this uh, will happen or not. It remains to be seen, Josh. Since we're talking about the farm bill, and I didn't, I didn't cue you up to talk about this, but I heard comments last week by a, a Senate Chairman Debbie Stabenow that uh, perhaps this is a year we might need an extension. Are you hearing more of those comments coming in Washington D.C.? Yeah, I, you know, some of the people I've talked to, I'm, I'm hearing, uh, I'm, I'm hearing that, you know, there, there's a couple of. Uh, couple of key players in the house that are adamant that it will get past this session but at the same time i've had a couple of members of the same committee tell me like well 
maybe not this year, we'll say this congressional term. So uh, I, I don't want to name, name names on it at this point, because, but uh, you know, they're just, they're, uh, there does seem to be a growing sense that uh, this may not get done by September, which is the, the deadline for the current farm bill. Now, Josh, for those of us who don't live in the world of politics, not this year, but potentially during this congressional term, what timeline uh, is he giving himself there with that? Uh, they go out to the end of 2024? That that would basically yeah, the congressional terms are you know, every, uh, two years. You know this this term began in January, so that would technically give them through the uh, the end of next December, twenty twenty four, like you said. All right, so we'll see what happens with the farm bill. Glad to hear negotiations are ongoing and and more lawmakers are getting those bills at least announced. Another one, Josh, that I thought was interesting. You wrote a piece on this last week. It's coming out of the House, and it's a food aid bill. We have not seen much focus on food aid from the legislature in quite some time. This is the American Farmers Feed the World Act of 2023. And what are these legislators proposing? Basically, uh, there, there's uh, this is a little bit different than a lot of the food aid we hear, but this this deals more with uh, international food programs. Uh, for example, the USDA has a program uh, called the Food for for Peace, which uh, Food for Peace program, which uh, you know allocates millions and millions of dollars across the world for various uh, food programs. Uh, what what these uh, legislatures would like to do is you know prioritize. Uh, American-made products in food aid. So, for example, a lot of times uh, the money distributed by USDA will go towards, you know, third-party humanitarian groups. Uh, they might grow to purchase, you know, crops from other countries because, for whatever reason, maybe it's more logistically uh, easier or whatever. But uh, th this would would uh, this would encourage, or actually not encourage, it, it would require. Uh, more uh, American-made products to go towards international food programs. So obviously, this is very popular in the you know, agriculture industry. I think more than 50 organizations have endorsed it because, you know, obviously, this would in theory mean more production for them, a uh, bigger market for them. And it would also give more congressional and USD oversight of this program to, uh, you know, some, some checks to make sure that, that American products uh, are being prioritized uh, in international aid, food aid programs. Interesting. Okay, so this would be a big shift. Josh, I just want to make sure I understand what's happening here in the situation now, U.S. Food for Peace or the other food aid programs, they get a chunk of money, they send that money potentially to the overseas party and they buy the food. This bill would require the food to be bought here in the U.S. Then we'd ship the food overseas. Is that the key change they're looking for? Yeah, that, that that's probably the biggest change. Like right now, it's 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 a mix, and, and they have more discretion over how to to do this this food aid. And you know, if, if this bill were to pass, then they would have certain set requirements over how much uh, American products they can use, and you know, any deviation of that would have to go through a whole other you know chain of uh, approvals before they'd be allowed to do that. Okay, now Josh, would a bill like this find a home in the farm bill, or would these legislators likely try to get it passed independently of that uh, big legislative package? You know, I I think they'd like to get it passed any way they they can, but I, I think again, you know, all, all of these bills, I I you know, from from my standpoint, I believe you know have an eye towards getting in to the farm bill. You know, if it passes on its own, great, but but you know, right now there's no date for this to be uh, voted on independently like like a lot of these things they kind of refer to committee and we'll see what happens to them um but yeah i'd anticipate this is something they would hope to go into the farm bill i could be wrong but that that seems to be the the how these things are going these days it does i mean that's certainly what all of these folks seem to be pointing out eventually we're going to get this new farm bill done and they'd like to have uh, their piece of legislation included josh bakey of course policy editor at farm progress covers all of the issues that develop there in washington dc josh where can listeners find you Ah, you can find me at uh, farmprogress.com or uh, my last name, B-A-E-T-H-G-E, Joshua.Bakey at Farm Progress. Drop me a line. Love to hear from you. Fantastic. Keep up to speed on what's happening in D.C. Josh, thanks for joining us. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA in just a moment. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. 
And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer Camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Hi, I'm News Correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here for AOA. We've got some geopolitical news that rocked the commodity world earlier on Wednesday morning. In the Persian Gulf, late on Wednesday, there was apparently a conflict between Iranian naval vessels, two oil tankers, and the U.S. Navy. Allegedly, sometime overnight, the Iranian Navy tried to capture two oil tankers, one of them owned by Chevron. This is the latest in a series of escalations by the country of Iran. Last month, uh, just over a month ago, in fact, they seized two oil tankers. This time, however, the U.S. Navy has issued a statement saying that, quote, they prevented the seizure of these oil tankers. No additional details on what happened to prevent the seizure of those tankers. However, the Chevron oil tanker did say that shots were fired over its bow, but all of the crew on board were safe. There are still a lot of geopolitical tensions out in the world, and they can pop up in ways that catch us unsuspected. Another thing that is interesting to watch develop is a bipartisan attitude in Washington, D.C. about snap mistakes over the pandemic. There was a joint statement issued earlier today from all leaders on both the House and the Senate Ag Committees. Uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow, a Democrat of Michigan, uh, Senator John Bozeman, Republican of Arkansas on the Senate side, and then G.T. Thompson and David Scott, both representing Republican and Democrat committees on the House Ag Committee, issued a statement this morning in response to the fact that the error rate, the amount of money overpaid or underpaid by SNAP to beneficiaries, was over 11% this year. That was higher than it has been in many years past. And those four leaders said, quote, the pandemic caused new challenges for USDA and states alike who took measures to ensure access to SNAP. However, the national error rate as reported today is unacceptable and threatens the integrity of the program. We urge governors and administrators to promptly establish corrective action plans and continue to work with USDA to address the root causes of these errors to improve their program operations, remain accountable to the taxpayer, and most importantly, ensure that benefits are targeted to the people who are in need the most. Reminder, that was a joint bipartisan statement from the leaders of both the House, the House and Senate Ag Committee. So it will seem as though SNAP discussions will likely be a part of this farm bill negotiation as it pushes forward there on Capitol Hill. Other news coming from around the world. We have been following the impact of African swine fever on the hog industry over the past several years. We've checked in uh, quite frequently with Dr. Paul Sunberg, the Swine Health Information Center. And the last time Dr. Sunberg was on, he was talking about the progress being made for vaccination against African swine fever. And according to Dr. Sunberg, two vaccines out of Vietnam currently show the most promise. Well, those vaccines are being tested in locations around the world. And one of the places where the vaccines against African swine fever are being trialed are in the Philippines. And the Philippine president, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., said earlier yesterday that the local trials for that Vietnamese vaccine are showing promising results. He did say that they are still a ways away from being able to make any recommendations, but he is hopeful that it could be available soon in that country to combat the deadly animal disease. Now, approval for this vaccine in the Philippines might be a little more smooth than it is in other countries. Ferdinand Marcos Jr., of course, president of Philippines, also has installed himself as the director of agriculture in that country. So if he believes it is going to be uh, effective, it is likely that it would see a fairly fast track forward to approval. Uh, so far, 66 out of the Philippines, 81 different provinces have experienced outbreaks with African swine fever. It is currently endemic in that country, and there are active cases still, still in progress across 13 different provinces in that country. We've got some other news from Washington, D.C. out today. There was a bill introduced. It's a bill we have talked about, not much during this congressional cycle, but it has come up before. This most recent reintroduction of a bill comes after it was introduced in the 116th Congress and the 117th Congress, and now it is being introduced in the 118th Congress. This is the Farm Workforce Modernization Act of 2023. 
This is being introduced in the House by Zoe Lofgren, Democrat of California, Dan Newhouse, Republican of Washington, Jim Costa, Democrat of California, Mike Simpson, Republican of Idaho, Jimmy Panetta, Democrat of California, David Valdado, Republican of California, Salud Carbajal, Democrat of California, John Duarte, Republican of California, and on and on. It is bipartisan, but it is not sure whether or not this bill is going to have the backing it needs in a contentious period in Washington, D.C., over immigration. The goal of the Farm Workforce Modernization Act is to update the H-2A Ag Guest Worker Program, and they're working to find a compromise solution that provides stability for farm workers and farms, particularly for those farm operations, ag operations, who need labor year-round. There, The complaint has been from folks in the industry that there have not been enough problems for permanent or relatively permanent labor assistance on the farm. It's tough. Once you get somebody trained, they need to leave to go back to their, their home country of residence before they can get approval to come back. Maybe there's a better way to do it. And that's what this bill is designed to be approved or designed to do. It would reform the H-2A program, would add a little bit more flexibility. It would establish a program for ag workers in the U.S. to choose to earn legal status through continued ag employment and contributions to the U.S. economy. And it would focus on modifications to make the program more responsive and user-friendly for employers and uh, providing industries with those year-round labor needs. I know we've talked to a lot of folks throughout the ag industry that would like to see a bill like this get across the finish line, unsure if this is going to be the one to do it. We'll continue tracking its progress in Congress as this year goes on. One other piece of news came out early today, and that's the Purdue Ag Economy Barometer. We'll be checking in over the next couple of days with Dr. Jim Mintert of Purdue, but the headline numbers are farmers are feeling a little bit better. Saw a big jump in farmer sentiment from 104 to 121 this past month. We'll check in with Jim later on this week, get the updates on how and why farmers are feeling better. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are heading back to Washington, D.C. for the monthly grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead, along with current priorities of NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 18th. It's a show you don't want to miss. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.